Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Paul Becker. This podcast is for all the moms and dads out there who struggle with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. Now here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Paul. How you doing? Hey, Paulie. What's going on? How you doing today? Doing well. Fantastic. Uh, been kind of a crazy week. Um, I actually went yesterday. I, I tried this a few weeks ago. And I did it again yesterday, but I paid for it out of pocket, Paul. It was an interesting, for my own self-sanity, I determined that I'm going to go to this particular co-working space like twice a month to get out of the house um, that's near me, that opened up. So I went the first time a few weeks ago, and and it really, for me, it was interesting. You know, it's close to my house, nice facility, great Wi-Fi. They got a coffee bar. They got the, the restaurant. I meet a friend there. And and we tried it and, it and it was great. And to the point where, you know, kind of thinking it through, um, I'm going to try to do it twice a month just to kind of get myself out of the house, <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. Um, and, and, and so for my own sanity, it was worth it. So I showed up yesterday, you know, just like you're going to work, you know, I showed up, uh, signed in. Uh, you know, found found a table and a desk and, and started jumping on calls and I started work in my laptop and then uh, went down and had a little lunch and then came back up and then, you know, so it was just a really good day. Um, I don't know why uh, sometimes just a change of scenery, at least for me, anecdotally helps. So it was kind of fun to kind of do something a little different. And I think I'm going to commit to that um, over the next uh, weeks and months, hopefully we'll see how it goes. I'll keep everyone posted. Uh, yeah, Paul, how right. are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. My, my security tinfoil hat went on when you said that though, by the way. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I can see uh, our security folks going. Wait, no, no, please don't do that. But <laughs> that's besides the point. Um, it was it was good. I think I told you I drove down to Florida. I drove back uh, just the other day. Uh, we'd left early to get ahead of the uh, ice storm. Thankfully, we did. But uh, a lot of valuable lessons there when your when your child gets their first place. So, so I have a new you know, new rule, if you will. You know, you have the 4% rule for investment and retirement and such. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I came up with a new one. And I'm going to call it the, the mom rule or something because when your child gets their first space, you know you have your emergency fund and he needs to tap into his emergency fund already for the place he bought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's, you need to set aside money from mom because mom is going to want to go out and get the kid oh they need better curtains they need dishes they need all this stuff and all those little things add up really really quickly so i think my rule is maybe one month's payment is kind of where i'm landing right now on the the new rule i just made all that up but uh, that's that's great that's kind of what it it is I love it. It's almost one step above the college dorm type thing, right? If your kid goes to college and stays in a dorm, there's a a certain amount of money that has to be invested into their dorm room. So you're saying have another fund kind of because you are going to invest when the kid leaves the nest. Yep. Pots, pans, whatever it is. And uh, fortunately, he did have his emergency fund set up and he needed it for a plumbing issue. And that uh, spiraled out of control very quickly. And I think as of now, it's finally taken care of. But uh, oh, plumber came, Glad fixed something, and uh, all of a sudden started leaking to the place down below. And now you have multiple, you have the HOA involved and multiple tenants and, and everything. So yep, a little interesting happens. there. And um, I did, as I promised, I know we're going to do an update on the electric car thing. I, You know I took the gasoline car down there, and uh, I did summarize all the costs 
to uh, run oh, the, electric, very cool. run the gas car down and back. And uh, we'll save that for another episode. But wow, very wow, cool. That hurt. That very hurt. cool. Understood. Understood. Um, I guess with that, today's podcast is with Peter Atwater. Uh, we are going to talk about a minimalist lifestyle. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Uh, the first news story uh, was sent to me by my wife. Um, she sends us news stories from time to time, Paul. Um, and this one was very interesting. This talked about, um, this was from the Washington Post, uh, move over crypto, a record number of workers are becoming millionaires with their boring 401ks and IRAs. Account balances and contributions are reaching record levels. Um, interesting read. Uh, I was glancing it through. And, and some of the things I kind of picked away at here was, I thought, you know, instinctively, the good news is more people are contributing, right? They're raising their contribution levels. The bad news seems to be, and unless I read it differently in the article, still only 50% of people out there who are working leverage this tool, which means 50% of the people are not leveraging an, you know, an IRA product or a 401k product or a TSP product. Um, Paul, what was your take on this story? So, yeah, I read that and... I'm surprised by that, but I'm not for, for a couple of factors. One, you know, the amount of income that they're bringing in, they may not have the ability to invest it. And two, as a society, the article breaks down versus uh, different ethnicities, how they're investing and not. And I wonder if the industry as a whole isn't reaching out to those less served areas. Because if you look, there's a big disparity between the different groups. So I, I think there are two things there. And then the last comment I have on it was that there are also a lot of millionaires that are out there in their 401ks. And when you look at it at a macro level, I'm wondering what that will do to the CPI in the future. Is that going to change with so many people having so many funds available in retirement? What's that going to do to the overall economy in the future? It may not be anything because they might just save it and keep on to it and do dribs and drabs, or they might go crazy with it. Those are some of my thoughts on that one, Paul. Yeah, no, very interesting. Very interesting. I, I, I think that the one thing that jumps out at me is when you look at the, the fund, depending on what kind you have, a Roth versus a, a traditional, the traditional ones, I think people think, wow, I have a million dollars in there, right? They might say if they have a million dollars in there, uh, but it's really not a million, right? After the tax man comes and takes a big bite out of it. It's not going to be a million bucks anymore. Right. Like, and, and so it's interesting. It's still great to have, right. Um, if, if you are lucky enough to have it, but I think when people look at it from the outside, they got to, they're not factoring in the taxes on that too. Right. So if, depending on how you're set up and how you're structured from a retirement perspective, um, it's, it's probably less than the million. <laughs> if that makes yeah. sense. So, yes. Cool. And then cool. as you well, get older, you have your minimum withdrawals too. I think once you hit seven, yeah, they start digging so into you, and eventually you have to deplete it, you know, to a degree. So, cool, cool. Um, the second story is from CNBC. Uh, smart tax planning. You definitely don't want to be guessing this year. Here's how to access uh, IRS transcripts that can help avoid delays. So, Paul, you sent this story. I didn't even know this existed. That's what kind of jumped out at me. I guess with this IRS transcripts, you can figure out and look at your past returns, account summaries, all kinds of different details. I didn't even know these existed. So, Paul, great call out. We posted this link to the website so people can figure out how to do it. Um, you know, for me, um, I think I guess it was because of the tax credit, the kid tax credit this year. And, 
certain people have to give certain money back. So that's why it's kind of they're emphasizing this. Um, but overall, I thought it was it was a neat tool to have that the IRS offers. Paul, what was your take on this story? Yeah, quite honestly, Paul, I was just poking around. I saw this article. I read it and uh, I didn't know about the transcript either. But I do think it's really neat. This way you can have everything in front of you when you're doing your taxes or um, if you have someone do it for you, you, you have that list of everything, which I, I really like. Sometimes the government actually has some stuff that might be helpful. It'd be better if we didn't have the taxes to begin with, but we do. So here's the tool. Um, I guess my other comment here was there are fewer than 15,000 workers to handle the 240 million incoming calls to the IRS. Only 15,000 people for 240 million. No wonder why you can't get through, right? Yeah. So <laughs> that just goes to the whole digitization of everything and how they really need to make it easier to do some of this stuff. I mean, if you look at it from a taxpayer point of view, one, it's frustrating. I can't get through. Two, it's obviously not efficient enough if we have 240 million calls coming in and only 15,000 people. So they're, um, Great opportunity there. How's that? Target-rich environment to make that environment better. Oh, absolutely. I can think of, you know, between machine learning, artificial intelligence, cognitive AI, there's a lot of stuff that can be done there. I don't know if that's if there's any plans for that, but it, it sort of sounds not. like they do need technology to kind of help them with this problem. So absolutely. Very cool. Absolutely. Very cool. Well, with that, uh, we'd like to now welcome to the podcast, uh, Peter Atwater. Peter has embraced the minimalist lifestyle. Pete. Pete, welcome to the show. Hi, guys. It's uh, a pleasure. I'm excited. My first uh, podcast. I've been interviewed before, but have never uh, been a guest on a podcast. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, we love having you. And um, I know that uh, – give us a little bit of background on how, how you got to us. I know um, it's, it's always a small world of connections, but um, I know you know Paul. Maybe we can just talk a little bit about yourself and your journey and, and – and, and, um, what brought you to us today? Yeah, sure. So um, I was with uh, GE General Electric for about 20 years, and uh, they moved me all around the country, my wife and I. And uh, by the way, we don't have kids, so I'm a financial dog dad, not a financial dad. <laughs> and uh, we uh, <laughs> I love it. ultimately got moved to, from our uh, lovely home in Colorado 20 years ago to the East Coast. And uh the GE business I worked for got sold, and I was lucky enough to land with a wonderful company in New York City, Guardian Life Insurance, and that's where I met Paul. So I've been with Guardian about 15 years now. Oh, wow, oh, 15 cool. years. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, and then yeah. so let, let me just add to that. So yep. Pete, we were on a call one day since Pete said we worked together, right? Uh, and some of my coworkers knew that we do a podcast, and he didn't know. And all of a sudden, he Googled it or whatever, found us, started playing it during the call. And uh, <laughs> I was giving some of my colleagues grief over the stop because, I, you know, I'm just – I wasn't ready for that, I guess. And then I found out it was Pete. So now he's on the show. And I've been a dedicated subscriber ever since. Oh, Yo, thank, thank you, you for that. We really appreciate it. We really appreciate it. And, we, and we'd love to hear more about this topic. I think we've talked about – a topic in the past. Oh, what was it, Paul? I'm trying to think now. It was related to this. You know, my mind is the fire it's, movement. It's blank. The, the fire, fire movement. movement. Yeah, thank you. We did talk about the fire movement. I'm not sure if this is sort of. I guess there's some tie to it, but maybe Pete, you could start off. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about 
the minimalist lifestyle from your from your definition from your lens we'd love to hear a little bit more about this yeah so i i put it kind of in two categories if you do a little research on minimalism there's a whole kind of structured approach to people who limit themselves to x number of items in their life and i've read about it i've never actually met anyone who does this but it's a strict regimen of if I have a hundred items I allow myself and I buy something new, something has to go into the trash bin or giveaway pile. And so I am not uh, anywhere close to something like that. I guess I describe myself more as living a unstructured minimalism as a life philosophy. Um, and what that means for, for me and my wife is uh, we have, many nice things but before we add to our collective pile we ask ourselves is it a need or a want and if it's a, a want it gets a little more scrutiny and potentially is not going to make the cut to come into our house and our world and you know a couple things help us achieve that um philosophy one is uh not having kids is makes it easier right mm -hmm. kids relate stuff and we're not big stuff people. And the other thing is uh, when you move six or seven times through the course of your, your lives, mm -hmm. you, you tend to try to scale down before the move. And, you know, certainly our move out here to Colorado from the East Coast, uh, we scaled down considerably. Uh, as you can probably see, we live in a, in a log cabin at 9,500 feet on 35 acres. So that was uh, kind of the, the last move we're going to make. And, uh, we scaled back considerably as part of the move. Wow. That is great. So, so what was the trigger? Was there a trigger that, that brought you to the, this style or were you kind of always like this? I think it's kind of in my, it's kind of in my wiring, Paul. Um, the way I was raised in a small town in central Illinois by two parents who both were um, growing up in the depression you remember back to those days that created a model in our household of i guess kind of min minimalism right out of the gate because mm. my dad had a very small business he didn't make a lot of money and uh you know four kids and um he made enough for us to live comfortably but the budget that my mom ran our household on was literally five hundred dollars a month and that's food, that's, you know, car insurance, everything. And so in our house, we didn't have um, a lot of materialism going on, quite frankly. It was, uh, you know, if you needed a new pair of jeans, that was kind of a big deal. So mm -hmm. that's really kind of the environment I was raised up in was to be, you know, very kind of financially responsible and uh, a little bit non-material, I guess. Have you been able to, uh, this is, this is great stuff, Pete, because from my vantage point, I'm probably the opposite. There's so much stuff <laughs> I keep, I hold on to all the stuff, right? So we got stuff all over the house, right? It's just between the kids and, and myself, I'm not going to throw the kids under the bus for that, that I'm, I'm in that same boat where I have whatever. And, and I can't seem to shed any of this stuff, right? But I, I've tried, I've looked, I've, 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 I've read books, um, you know, to try to figure out how do I downsize? How do you get rid of this stuff? How do you get rid of that emotional attachment? Did you have any of those problems, get, like getting emotionally attached? And if you had, 
How did you get around that? Because I desperately need help in that space. Uh, sadly, I can't give you advice on that. Okay. Because I, I don't get attached to stuff. But I'll tell you a funny story. We've lived in a lot of really nice neighborhoods. Um, you know, my wife has always had a great job. I've always had a great job. And these neighborhoods we've lived in, most houses, minimum two-car garage, but some three- and four-car garage. Mm-hmm. And what always cracked us up, and you know, apologies if this applies to y'all, but uh, our um, point of humor in these neighborhoods was the people who had their garages so full of stuff that they can't park their car in, their, in any of their three-car bays. <laughs> and it's like, really? <laughs> It is yep. funny, Pete. The only thing I'm, I'm a, I don't know if I'm using the right word, a zealoston. Our cars are in our garage. And, and you're right. Our neighbors, everyone parks their cars in the driveway. They, there's so much stuff in their garages that it's, you know, storage slash living space. I'd say more storage, but that is the one thing with all the stuff we have in our house. That's the one thing that me and my wife really agreed on is we don't have enough stuff that the cars sit outside. Like, yeah. like the cars, the, the garages are for their purpose, right? And and that's where I draw the line at stuff. But other than that, our basement is packed. Like, it's just crazy. So, yeah. uh, Paul, looks like you have a question. Uh, there's so many things I got running through my mind, but you, you go yeah. next. I'd love to hear Me a too. little and bit more I, about I this. I have to answer the garage question. So my cars do not go in a garage because they physically don't fit because my house is old that – the garage is literally too small for it to fit. So I I did try. I did try. And (laughs) it gave me three quarters of an inch room. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to damage the car for that. So I did try, but it did not. So my next question, Pete, with with this style, do you think it's impacted the way you look at other things, not just at home and and buying stuff, but but even the work type environment? Does Does it change how you do things there? Yeah, I think the philosophy has served me really well in my career, particularly in companies like GE and Guardian that put a premium on making the right investments and spending money on the right things. And, you know, in GE, there was always a push to do more with less. And it's, you know, similar at Guardian, right? And so if you can be very economical, and by the way, I minored in economics, even though I have a technology um, degree. Um, I loved economics and I loved the concept of no free lunch. And so I don't believe that you can um, go to the money tree and whether you're in a business or in your own home and just pick leaves off of that and go spend it. So you've got to have a reason why you're spending money. And that frugality, I guess, really worked well in my career as a technology executive. That that's great, and and I think one of the questions we had, and you you opened the door on that, is how does the minimalist lifestyle tie to your own personal financial philosophy? So I'm hearing the keywords, uh, you know, frugality and 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 needs versus wants, which we did a whole podcast on needs versus wants at one point. Are mm-hmm. there any other ways that this lifestyle is tied to your personal financial philosophy, and and how you tie it in beyond those? Yeah, I mean, when it goes back to you want to create a, a financial security for yourself. And so my wife and I have, uh, for as long as we can remember, tracked our monthly expenses in an Excel spreadsheet. It's very simple, but there's something very, um, I think, impactful of each of the member of the household writing down, here's the expense I incurred today and putting that in that spreadsheet so that you know 
if you have a savings goal that you're going to be on track to hit that savings goal. And, you know, we, we set some goals for ourselves many years ago that we've been lucky enough to achieve. But I think that simple act of writing down, I'm spending, you know, $500 on, you know, some new clothes that goes in the tracking spreadsheet and it's kind of full transparency in the household. And I think for us, it also ties into, we live very healthy, physically fit lifestyles. And so, you know, physical health, financial health kind of go together, uh, you know, in our house. And the, the, you know, if I can walk, I'll walk. If I don't have to ride, it's great. Um, and so, you know, that kind of a mindset, I think, has really served us well. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, I think for me, I love the the health. There's a lot of ties here to what we've talked about on Financial Dads. We talk about, you know, maintaining budgets. We've talked about health and financial wellness and how they tie together. Um, I love some of those pieces that you that you talked about. Now, you talked about your housing. So um, from a minimalist perspective, how does that tie to your to your home? I know that you talked about moving and you talked earlier about the, the house you're in now, but can you elaborate on that? Like how is, how is your housing kind of tied to this minimalist lifestyle as well? Yeah. And that's where maybe we go a little bit away from what a, a, min, a true minimalist who listens to this might say, well, that's just not how it's done because we love nice things and our ability to prioritize. So we've lived in very nice houses for most of our lives together. Um, there is a, you know, one interesting story that kind of ties into this. When we first lived together, uh, we had a very, very small house and my wife grew up in cold weather in Colorado and loved sweaters and our house had no closet space, but she had a bunch of sweaters and she would buy new sweaters. And we just had a rule every time a sweater came in, a sweater had to go into the giveaway pile. Mm. And uh, I've kind of used that anecdote in business, too, because um, sometimes technology teams kind of pile on a bunch of sweaters in their closet and never <laughs> take anything off the pile. And it's something that I think that hygiene of um, as you add new things, yeah. take something old out is a good um, is a kind of a good philosophy. I love that analogy because I, I, being in IT, we're all in IT here, you know, data and app sprawl, right? Just tons yes. of data that is no longer needed, actually could be dangerous keeping it around. Yes. Yeah. You know, it, 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 you know it, from, you know, all kinds of stuff. So I love the way you've kind of tied that together. Um, in terms of the, you've been able to simplify your life through this. What are some of the simplification, other simplification things that you've done in terms of simplifying your life? using this lifestyle? Oh gosh. I just don't, uh, I don't worry about fancy cars. You know, I could probably afford whatever, but I drive a five-year-old Santa Fe Hyundai. Um, it's great. It's reliable. Fits all the dogs in the back. Um, you know, focusing on doing things in the outdoors. Um, I'm a huge outdoorsman hunting, fishing, um, you know, I've got an elk in the freezer, so we have, uh, you know, fresh wow. elk every week. Um, so, you know, it's not a truly sustained, I guess, how, how, how would you put it, sustainable lifestyle, but it's definitely supplemented by things coming off the land, and that's uh, that's really kind of fun and important to me. Wow. 
That's really cool. I did not know that. I did not know that. So you learn something new every day, right? You, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've learned a lot cool. from Pete over the years. In, in fact, uh, I want to share a little story. We were doing a big deployment of something um, in our organization, and there were some nuances with compliance and things like that. This is two years ago. And because of the rules, I came up with options A, B, and then I came up with C, D, E, and Pete told me, stop. Very simple, stop. The business requirement is X. That's it. You present the options that will meet the business requirement. Even though I had C, D, E, and probably F out there, um, I didn't really truly delete the columns. I kind of hit them in a separate spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> but but it, was, it was such a great, valuable lesson. That's why, you know, taking that minimalist lifestyle and applying it to work, that really, really helped me. So when I work with our team, I, I think about that frequently. And to Pete, it was probably just a, a hands-off comment one day. But to me, it resonated so much and it changed how much I look at the things that I do at home and at work. So Pete, I actually want to thank you for that. That was really amazing for me. That really changed how I look at things and put things in perspective. So I took that and you apply your lifestyle at work and then that came to me and now I'm looking at it at home and at work. So thank you for that one. That was a great, great lesson for me. So yeah, I, I'd love to, I mean, I'd love to maybe, I know we're going off track. I'd love to hear a little bit okay. more about that because Pete, it, it's so funny that you say that. So I, I'm guilty of that sometimes too. Not so much at, at, in my work life, but in my personal life of getting analysis paralysis, right? So if you have so many options for something that you start going down the rabbit hole and you're looking at, you know, nine different types of fences and you know eight different types of cars and like, is there an optimal bucket of you don't want to do something haphazardly, but you also don't want to, you know, boil the ocean with options. So is there is there something in the middle? Like I know on the show in the past, we've talked about, you know, if you're going to get, you know, uh, contracting work done at your house, get three quid, get three bids, right? But is really, should, should it be three? Should it be two when you're looking at these things? What's your perspective on that? Yeah, my perspective is it should be the right number. And that could be one, two, three, five. And, you know, to Paul's story, the, mm -hmm. the coaching I tend to give, I got great people I work with. The number one thing I tend to end up coaching folks on is keeping it simple. And, you know, what is the bare minimum that will get the job done? And is that the right solution? Is that the fit that meets the customer, the business needs, your own personal needs for stuff in your, in your personal life. And uh, rather than look at a thousand different options, if you've got two or three that are viable or even just a one that you feel really good about, go with your gut. Very cool. I love that diversion. Um, and I think people will see a lot of value in that. Thank you for letting us do that. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask was, how do you recommend people get started with minimalism? I guess in terms of um, what would be those first few steps that you would recommend to people um, that want to adopt that lifestyle? Even if it's to your point, you know, not the full lifestyle, but to start practicing some of those minimalistic principles. Yeah, um, I would say three things, Paul. So you kind of mentioned your basement's full of stuff. How much of that stuff have you touched in the last 12, 24 months? I mean, there's obviously all yeah. kinds of podcasts and YouTube on, on cleaning, cleaning clutter. Once you start to declutter, you start to feel a little freer. 
then that next thing that comes into your house, is it really something you need? Are you going to use it? Are you going to get value out of it? Do that little cost benefit analysis. I'm spending a hundred dollars for this new thing. And am I going to use it once a year? Am I going to use it, you know, once a day and, and get the value, make sure you're getting the value that way. Um, those are, you know, two things. And, you know, I think the last one is just asking yourself, um, you know, where else in your life you can minimize. And, and, and an example that I use, I, I do a fair amount of traveling and I go on trips with buddies, golf trips, hunting, fishing trips. My bag is always the lightest. Mm. And, you know, if, if I asked my friends, do you think, you know, Atwater is a minimalist, they all say, oh, yeah. You definitely <laughs> half as much as all the rest of us. I just did a big fishing trip to Argentina and my two good friends had twice as much weight in their, um, in their big duffel bag than I did. I just asked myself, what's the least amount I can get by with and still be comfortable and have fun. And yeah. And that it's interesting. You opened up that door there and I just, I just started thinking about it was, do you think that the minimalist lifestyle has been able to, to help is contributed to, you know, to travel. Sounds like you've traveled an awful lot. Mm -hmm. um, would you say that the minimalist lifestyle kind of facilitates that in terms of you put more value on experiences, right? Not necessarily the fishing rod that you own, but the place you go fishing. And I'm just curious how that ties into your, to your thought process. Yeah. I think at a minimum you can trade off things for experiences. That's a pretty simple equation. If I mm -hmm. buy, $5,000 less stuff in a given year that frees up disposable income to go, uh, you know, do something fun like a fishing trip to Argentina. So, um, and by the way, on that trip, I took two rods and my buddies all took four. Right. So, <laughs> Just in case the first three break. Exactly. Um, but uh, yeah, I think there is a definite correlation there between how you prioritize what you spend your disposable income on and your ability to go have life experiences. Yeah. That is another topic and it's, you hit upon it. We'd love to have you back for this particular topic. It's been, it's been crawling at me for a while. And Paul, I think, you know, the one I'm talking about is disposable income. How disposable is one's disposable income? And we touched upon it on other shows. Um, I want to kind of save it uh, for a full blown show, but do you have any opinion on, kind of the thought around disposable income, how disposable is your income? I know sometimes it's, it's ratioed, but do you have a view beyond that? Like what's your view on, on kind of the uh, disposable income? Yeah. Concept. That's, that's where, you know, our very simple tracking Excel spreadsheet comes into play because we know what we're going to spend on the basics, on the things that we need to keep the lights on, you know, pay the mortgage, and then uh, we also know how much we're, we're bringing in every month. And, you know, that simple equation of what's left over, that's all the line items, you know, uh, going golfing, uh, you know, taking a, taking a trip. Uh, my wife's a big dancer. She does a lot of ballroom dancing competitions. That's, you know, coming out of our disposable income. And it's great. We get to do the things we love and we know what they cost and we know how much we can afford. That's great. And then I think the other thing that came to mind is minimalist lifestyle and marriage. So it sounds like it's helped a tremendous amount, right? You folks, you, you guys are on the same page. 
um, you understand each other. Um, do you think that the minimalist lifestyle has has really helped your your, your marriage and, and compatibility, all that kind of stuff? I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Well, my wife's a good counterbalance. Um, she definitely probably likes nice things and stuff a little bit more than me. But there's certain things that you probably should go ahead and spend money on. And she'll, um, I think in our relationship, we've got the right balance here where I'll be the one who says, I don't think we really need that. And she'll make the case for why we do. And, you know, you know how those go. You know, she'll probably win most of the time, but uh, yeah. it's, it's a good, uh, it's a good counterbalance um, and allows us to achieve our goals. Very cool. And how many, I, you said at the beginning of the podcast with, uh, with the dogs, how many do you have and, and, and are they experienced in this or impacted by the minimalistic lifestyle? I, do, do they have less toys? Um, but I'd love to hear a little bit about that if, if you're okay with that. Oh yeah. We, we've uh, adopted rescues for as long as we've been together. Very cool. We've always had between two and five dogs and right wow. now four and, uh, they, uh, I think, live in, in dog heaven here because, um, you know, they have a nice big yard to, to go play in. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm a big uh, outdoors guy, so they get to go hiking and, and snowshoeing and cross-country skiing and, and doing stuff that dogs love. So uh, I think they benefit 100% from, uh, you know, from the lifestyle. Very cool. Wow. Very cool. I and I think one other question I had was around, are there any resources that you'd recommend either online or in books like uh, that you could point people to from your experience? Uh, you know, honestly, I kind of make make all this stuff up as I go along. So I, uh, hey, that's my line. Yeah, I honestly don't, <laughs> I don't know where I, I temp, I was tempted to Google all this before, um, before we talked and then decided not to, to just go with, uh, what I feel and what I believe and what I think I know. And, uh, I, I, I'm going to do it now, now that we're done talking, <laughs> we'll see how far off I am with what I think versus uh, what the conventional wisdom is out there on the, on the web. Well, we always tell people everything is very personal, right, Paul, when it comes to finances. So, um, the so, minimalist likes lifestyle could be what you want it to so, be. So, so, oh, so, so Paul, do you have a question? Yeah, one more. So, Peter, there's one thing if someone wanted to start today, what would you what would you suggest? Would it be you know cleaning out the closet or the garage or basement or something? How, how would someone just put their toes in the water here, if you will? What would you suggest? It's a, it's a, it's going to be tough advice for people to take, but here's the piece of advice I would give: ask yourself what makes you happy. Ask yourself what that, makes you happy. Next, okay. Is it that next delivery from Amazon? Is it the walk in the park with your kids, um, your dogs? Focus on those things that make you really happy. And that's assuming you've got kind of the base level of financial security covered. Because if you focus on what makes you happy, that's where you're going to spend your money. And that's what's going to um, lead to a happy life, I think. Whether it's Very minimalist cool. or maximalist, some people stuff makes them happy. Man, I'm not going to talk them <laughs> <for> that. <laughs> Thank you. I like, I like that. I like. Very that. cool. Very cool. Well, I think with that, we'll we'll kind of jump into the summary recap. Pete, we always do a summary recap. I think for me, uh, what stuck out to me was around the decision making story. I, I know I'll be listening back to this podcast uh, as soon as it's available at the gym. So I, I'm I'm chomping at the bit to listen to it. I think there's a lot of great advice in here today. So thank you 
for joining us. Uh, Paul, what's one of your takeaways or from today? Um, gosh, there, there are a few of them. I think the one is really what Pete just said, you know, kind of what makes you happy and focus on that and let that help guide you and be your guidepost. I'm using different words a little bit there, right? But that that resonates really well. Plus the story from work, um, really, Pete, I can't thank you enough for that because how much that changed the way I do things at work and at home. So thank you. That's a great one too. Very cool. And Pete, any last words before we close the show? No, keep doing what you're doing, guys. I, I, I believe in it. it. I think it's great. Um, I'm jealous. Maybe someday I'll have the um, nerve to do something like what you're doing, but uh, I'll keep listening and you keep, uh, keep on on. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on the show. Hopefully we'll have you again soon. Thank you very much. Uh, well, Paul and Peter, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks everyone for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Paul reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you. 